Well, praise God. God is good, isn't he? And you know, I'm going to be talking about goodness, but it's just, it's just exemplified in our Heavenly Father, isn't it? He is a good God. Yeah, he's a good, good God. And someone says, always, always. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, it's been just wonderful listening to um, the sermons and the messages that God has been bringing us in regard to uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. If you're ever wondering about the character of God, just read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Because the God that we serve is just full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of long-suffering. Yeah? It's God. And you know, that is the character of God. And it's just so wonderful to see and to know that that same character was displayed in our Lord Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. What's even more wonderful is the fact that he has planted that same spirit within each and every one of us. Why? See, I've even got the light uh, the light um, display as well. Yet yeah, what's it so wonderful is he has planted that same fruit within each and every one of us by his Holy Spirit. Bless him. You know, why? Because fruit matters. That's where I want to start this morning. Fruit matters. Fruit is important. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been, but I had the privilege some years ago of being driven uh, from an airport in, in North America in a place called New Hampshire. And New Hampshire in the autumn, or they call it the fall, New Hampshire in autumn is one spectacular sight. The colors of the leaves are just absolutely gorgeous. There's reds, bright reds and, and gold and, and, and yellows and, uh, and browns and, and greens. It's just absolute. You just see the handiwork of God, I tell you. Leaves, leave, they, those leaves are beautiful. But can I tell you, what's more important is fruit. Fruit. Yeah, leaves will, leaves will excite the senses. But fruit feeds the soul. Fruit. Fruit feeds the people outside. Fruit says, I am a child of the king. I am the son of the living God. Hallelujah. I have been born again. Of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, when I read Galatians, there's just one, one of the texts there. I'm going to come to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in just a few moments. But I see a key text in the book of Galatians. And I think it's summed up in verse 20. 
in verse 20. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this. This is the IV. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. It was a message. This is the message that Paul is bringing loud and clear within within the book of Galatians to the church of Galatians. You see, Paul, Paul went to the church there. He pioneered the church, actually a number of churches across Galatia. He pioneered a number of them. He labored, he labored for God in that vineyard. And God miraculously and wonderfully raised up a body of people who, who, who would would forsake the sin and they would follow him. And just for a short absence, Paul, Paul was away from the church here in Galatia. And during that time, during that time, people moved into the church who did not preach the truth. They preached legalism. They, they laid burdens upon the churches of Galatia. They laid burdens upon the people. They, they required areas within their life that they had to submit to. Areas that were opposed to the truth of the gospel of salvation by grace. To a legalism of the law. And I, I tell you, we'll see, we'll see a bit later on how indignant Paul the Apostle who had labored for the souls of these men and women felt when he heard about it. The new birth, the new birth, not the law. The new birth, not legalism. The new birth, hear me church, the new birth is the greatest miracle that we will ever encounter. Do you believe that? The new birth is the greatest miracle that we will ever encounter. Beloved, if we see the dead raised, if we see, if we see the blind see, if we, if we see those who are unable to walk, walk. And we do not have new birth within our church. Then friends, we have missed it. We have missed it. The new birth is greater. And, and can I encourage you church? Lord, I'm going to believe for all of those things. I'm going to believe for all of those things. Because all of those things are secondary to the reality of the gospel. And the gospel brings new birth. The gospel brings a change in each and every one of us as we submit our lives to Jesus. Nothing. I'm going to say that again and I may say it again. Nothing. Nothing should ever diminish 
the work of grace and faith that the love of God has wrought. That the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross and that was brought by the Holy Spirit. Nothing. We must never allow anything to diminish the power and the preciousness and the miraculous of the new birth. Excuse me one moment. You see, this is the power of the new birth. Romans 6.14. Romans 6.14 says this. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law. But under grace. Can I say, church. Let's grasp again this morning the wonder of the new birth. Because at the moment of our salvation and surrender, God Almighty dealt a death blow to our old nature. He, it, that's, why, that's why I read verse 20 earlier on. We are crucified with Christ. And so it's no longer we that live. But Christ who lives in us. Hallelujah. That's what happened. That's what happened at the new birth. Our old nature was dealt a death blow. And the nature of Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost was planted deep right within our hearts and within our lives. So we are no longer masters. Doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we don't fail. We you know, look, I'm going to put my hand, I'm going to put both of them. I fail every day. I fail every day. But I can tell you this. I'm not the man that I was last week. Yeah? I'm not the man that I was 10 years ago. I'm not the man that I was 20 years ago. Just by God's grace, we are growing in him. Hallelujah. He planted within us his nature. And the fruit, it's the fruit, that is the fruit that we've been looking at and that we will continue to look at over these next few weeks. Let me read another scripture to you. New, uh, this is from the New King James Version, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is what happened to us. This is the miracle of the new birth. If anyone, that means you, means you this morning means me thank the lord if anyone is in christ he is a new creation just turn around to the person next to you a new creation tell them they're a new creation a new creation a new creation not a new page not a new leaf not a new opportunity not a new chance. A new creation. Hallelujah. All things have passed away. All things have been crucified with Christ. All things have been dealt the death blow. 
All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we are looking at, verse 22 and 23, is the fruit of that new life. That new nature. That new creation. A new birth. Last week, last week, Pastor Nathan shared with us about the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. Kindness. A kindness that is not according to the standards of this world. Kindness that's the fruit of the Spirit. A kindness that comes from a tender heart. A heart that has been touched by the Holy Spirit. A kindness that took Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the cross. A kindness that at times is going to cost. A kindness, he reminded us, that is not nice, but is strong. A kindness that is strong. And today we're looking at the quality of goodness. Goodness. And I, I, I think it's important that as we come to this, that we begin to compare what at times can appear. In fact, in some translations, you will find that, that kindness and goodness and gentleness, they all get, they're almost interchangeable. But there are subtle differences that are so important for us to see. And I believe that I just want to unpack some of that for us this, uh, this morning. The two words have different meanings. The word kindness and goodness have different meanings in the Greek. Kindness is described as a gracious disposition in character. An attitude. It encompasses, as we heard last week, it encompasses tenderness and compassion and sweetness. Kindness, perhaps, is better understood by how it is revealed by Jesus. Hasn't Jesus been kind to us? He's always kind. He's always kind. Let me just, let's just recap some of the kindness of Jesus as he walked this earth. It would stop. Jesus stopped for blind Bartimaeus. He stopped for, for a man who was calling out to him. He stopped for the blind so that he, he could heal them. That's kindness. His kindness. He, he, he perhaps could have been somewhere else, but he stopped for the man that was blind. He stopped. This is wonderful kindness. He stopped for those that were regarded as outcasts. He stopped for the leper. Even more so, Jesus actually touched the leper. Yeah. 
when, when all of society was saying, keep away from us, keep away from us, Jesus stopped and touched the leper. That's kindness. Jesus perceiving by the Holy Spirit when a funeral was going through the village. Recognizing by the Holy Spirit, I believe, that this, this woman leading before the coffin, it wouldn't have been a coffin, it would have been a stretcher with uh, the body of her only son on. She had lost, she, listen, she had lost her husband. We don't know. We don't know what other family she had as far as relatives are concerned. But we know that the body on that, on that stretcher that morning was her only son. And this is kindness. When, when the religious would not approach would not approach the dead body for fear of being regarded as unclean. The kindness of the Savior reached out and touched the dead body and raised him from the dead, presented him again to his mother. That's the kindness. That's the, that's the kindness of the Savior that we serve. It's the kindness of the Savior when, when again the religious hierarchy of the land bring a woman caught in adultery to him and they demand what is going to happen to this woman. Doesn't, doesn't the scripture say this they're saying? And really what they want to do, they want Jesus to condone them stoning. But he stops for such as the young woman. Until those who are accusers walk away. And it says, Jesus says, and I'm not going to accuse you as well. Go and sin no more. That's the kindness. That's the kindness of the Savior that we have come to love and love more and more. But, but goodness, goodness, while still revealed in kindness, is not always seen as kind. That might seem a bit confusing for you. Goodness, whilst so often Revealed in kindness is not always seen as kind. The word for goodness. It may be described as this. As a disposition or a willingness to do that which is right. Goodness. To do what is right and good. I've underlined here, even in the face of misunderstanding. The word kindness, the word kindness is never found in correcting. But goodness is. 
The word kindness is always like a display of grace and mercy. Goodness may be found in correcting. Romans 2 verse 4 says this. The goodness. We agreed right at the beginning, didn't we? That God is good. Yeah. Listen, this is, what, this is what Paul reminds us about the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Now look, now look. When we felt we needed to repent, when suddenly the searchlight of the Holy Spirit shone into our hearts, and suddenly we realized just how we stood before an almighty and righteous God. You felt anything but good. Unless you're absolutely perfect. Listen, I'm going to talk to myself. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good at that moment in time. Conviction doesn't always feel good. You're reading your Bible. You're reading your Bible and, and you're praying that God will speak into your life. And suddenly, does this ever happen to you? Suddenly, God shines something up in your life. And he, and he says, Lord, this is, you know, I want you to rise to this. I want you to let that go because I've got something better in front for you. Does that feel good? No, it doesn't feel good. I'm sorry, it doesn't feel good at that moment in time, does it? You feel, you feel as though you want to crawl under a stone somewhere when the searchlight of God's Holy Spirit really gets a hold of you like that. When God brings conviction, it doesn't immediately appear good. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. When God is correcting you, Hebrews 12, when God is correcting you, don't feel good. I'll just use, you know, the King James Version if you like. No chastisement for the present feels good but what does it feel painful grievous the, the king james version says it feels grievous but afterwards yeah that's the important thing. see that's why it's good why why is why does the goodness of god lead us to repentance because he establishes he establishes with us a, a wonderful and glorious and new relationship why why is it why is it that his chastisement is good because those who he chastises are going to bear much fruit those who he corrects are going to bear much fruit. Those, those vines that, 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 are, that are dragging along the floor, he lifts up so that we can bear more fruit. But it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good at that moment in time. It's only when we have applied it that it feels good. Has anybody, has anybody ever been in, in trouble with their mum and dad? 
everybody's laughing, yeah. And you know, I was going to tell you a story. Well, I will tell you. Yeah. Look, look, I was quite a character as a young teenager. And I was more than my mother could really handle. Um, Well, there were seven of us. And and this particular day, um, I had to, I had, me and my brother were assigned to help my father um, in the garden, in the allotment, actually. And there were a whole stack of of digging to do and weeding to do. And and so I was there, I was there really busy in myself when suddenly my best mate turned up. Oh, he said, Tony, are you coming? I said, Dad, Dad, can I go? He said, no, you can't go. Oh, Dad, look, look, you know, I'll leave, my my brother can stay with you. I'm going, I'm going, Dad. No, you're not going, he says. I said, Dad, I am going. No, you're not. So I'm walking away from him and he's walking close to me. (laughs) Eventually, I had to make the decision. And I ran for my life. (laughs) I ran and ran. You know, my friend ran after me. And so I just cleared all the other allotment fences. I just ran in a straight line. Right down to, to the path where I, could, where I knew my father couldn't follow me. The problem is we had a great day that day. But then my, my, my best mate says, I'm going home for my tea. Oh, I'm going home for my tea. What are you doing? I said, I'm not going home. <laughs> I'm not going home for my tea. <laughs> Why? Because I, I had, I'd upset my father. And, and that was one thing that I would not do. So I, I thought, well, that's okay. I'm going down to my elder sisters. Oh, oh, God bless older sisters. So I got an older sister who was married and she had her own house. So I went down there and I had my dinner. And then time moved on. I had my tea. Time moved on and it got dark. She said, Tony, aren't you going home? I said, uh, yeah, I think I better go home. You're in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> she says, I said, yeah, I think I'm in, de- I'm in trouble. So I went home. I crept, I crept under, under the window to get to the front door. And I just slightly tapped the front door, knowing my mother would be the one who came to the front door. Oh, thank the Lord for mothers. Like, you know, she, you know, like the intercessor. So she came. She said, you better go straight to bed. I went straight, to, uh, straight up those stairs. The, the, the stairs were in front of the front door. And I went straight up the stairs. I got into bed. And, and that, that was it. But, you know, I just couldn't. I've got to get up in the morning because it's school. Uh-huh. Eventually, I was right with my father. As I say, thank the Lord for my mother. She just said, look, you can leave him alone. He's suffered enough. He's been out all, all day and night. He's been out. You leave him alone. Thank you, mother. <laughs> but you know, I felt great. I felt great. 
Because I was right with my father. Yeah. It's not, don't feel great when you know that there's something in your life where you're not right with your father, does it? So he comes along because he is good. And he corrects us. And what does it, what is the fruit that that yields? It says, the peace of being right. There's a peace. There is a peace that we know when we are right with him, isn't there? And often it comes through those difficult times. The quality of goodness in Galatians 5 speaks of these things. Integrity. Speaks of doing what is right before God. Consistently and whatever the situation. The the word goodness as used in Galatians 5.22 is only used in three other verses. For those who may be taking notes, it's in Romans 15, 14, Ephesians 5, 9, and 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 11. And in those instances, they are associated with words like this, knowledge, instruction, righteousness, truth, power, and purpose. As on occasions, goodness, as on occasions, the word used here has on occasions been described as tough love. Tough love. When Jesus, just excuse me a moment. Let's look at some of the instances where Jesus was manifesting goodness. When Jesus entered the temple, you know, the days, days before he would give his life, days when he would show his kindness at such a cost, Jesus entered the temple and he found, he found people abusing the very house of prayer. And the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us that he actually made a whip he put a whip together let me tell you it wasn't something spontaneous that Jesus did on that day that he went into the temple wasn't it wasn't something off the cuff suddenly you know uh, something that, that 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 moved his spirit Jesus seeing what was happening in the temple he deliberately put together a whip and drove out those who were abusing the temple. Was he being good? He was being good. Because he was being right. With his heavenly father. He was being good. Because he was being true. To who he is. And always will be. The place of prayer. Had been abused. His actions were good. Because why? Because his first responsibility was to God Almighty. He often healed people on the Sabbath. And he knew, he knew healing people on the Sabbath was going 
was going to cause problems for people. But why did he do it? He didn't do it to aggravate them. He did it because it was the right thing to do. Other instances of goodness. Peter. Peter, this mighty, glorious apostle Peter. On one occasion, he's saying one thing and doing the other. He's saying, he's saying when he's in certain company, oh yeah, we embrace, we embrace the Gentiles. We embrace the non-Jews. They don't, they don't need to keep the law. But then when he was, when he was with senior of, and certain members of the Jewish uh, community, he was, doing another, he was doing something else. I'm sorry, Peter, but he was being hypocritical. And Paul, Paul the Apostle, actually corrected him. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do for, for Peter. It was the right thing to do for the church. It was the right thing to do for those people uh, that were distressed by all that they were hearing. A bit later, in, in Galatians, in Galatians, Chapter 3, we, we, find, we find that Paul actually refers to the Galatians as foolish. He says, oh you foolish Galatians, why? Because they were being turned away from truth. But it was good. It may not have appeared good. It may not have appeared kind. But it was good because it was restoring them to what is good. Are you following me? In a society. We live in a society. That often calls good bad. And I'm not talking. I'm not talking about, you know, our vocabulary has changed over the years. And people, you know, use words like, oh, that's wicked for something that's good. I'm not talking about that. We live in a society that calls good bad. And calls bad good. In this neighborhood, this government, in this nation, it's sad to say, that they promote, they promote what is regarded as normal, acceptable. I have to excuse me if I get indignant, but our TV screens are bombarded, bombarded with what, what the, the, the directors and producers and might I say our own governments promote as acceptable and good. And I want to tell you, it is bad. It is bad. It is not only bad, it is evil. It is evil. But that is the sort of society. Acts 10 verse 38 says this, Jesus went about doing good. 
And we, church, are called to do the same. And our area, our, this vicinity, our neighborhood, our homes, our friends, they need, they need men and women, church, who are ready to stand up for what is right and what is good, what is pure, and what is holy, even when it books the trend of society, even, what can I say, when it is regarded as un-PC, even when it's regarded as against the cultural norm of society. Our area needs people like you and me. The place for light is in the dark. You hear me? The place for light is in the dark. The place for salt is where there is a need for something to savor and to make right and clean. The place for good is where there is bad. You want to know how to change the culture of your neighborhood? You want to know how, how to react when all these things are happening and present with us as a society? You want to know how you can make a difference and God has called us to that. I, friends, friends, I just want to encourage you. Don't accept the culture out there as your culture. But don't go grumbling about it as well. Make a difference. Be salt. Be light. This is what, this is what Paul says in Romans. Romans 12 and verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil. It's no use ranting at the TV set. It's no use just getting together and, and moaning and, and moaning the lot and of cursing what you know what isn't good. No, no, don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, but this is what Paul says. Overcome evil with good. Yeah. Overcome evil with good. Switch the TV off. Be a saver of life to those next door to you. To the person in the bank. To the person in the, book, uh, in the bus queue. Be a saver of life when somebody pushes in front of you, you know, when you're at the checkout and, you, and, you know, you've only got a few items, but, you know, they just go in with a whole trolley load. Be a saver of life. You know, this goodness, this goodness is so perfect in changing culture. It's practical. Hebrews 13 says, says this. It is the sacrifice of praise 
from our lips and by our hands. Goodness. So learn. I've just got a few scriptures and then we'll just come to a close. It is so practical. Isaiah 117 says this. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. That's all good stuff, isn't it? Actually, that is, can I say, that is pure religion. That's pure religion and undefiled. 1 Timothy 6.18 Let them do good that they may be rich in good works ready to give willing to share yeah yeah do it I remember Paul reminded Paul Morris reminded us the last time that he was that he was preaching now there was an occasion there was an occasion when Victoria was in the uh, in the supermarket queue I wasn't in front of her but on this occasion you see why I've said that. On this occasion, she actually said to the person in front of her, I'll pay for your groceries. The person said, no, you will not. But still do good. Still do good. Willing to share. Willing to give. Galatians 6.10, the same book as we've been reading from. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good. Do good. Do good. And if you, if you see a brother or sister within the church in need, do good. Yeah, do good. Deuteronomy 12.28 Observe and obey all these words which I command you, the Lord speaking through Moses, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. When you do what is... Yeah. You want prosperity? I mean real prosperity now I'm talking about. You want real prosperity for your home? For your family, for your loved ones. You want, you, you want things to go well for you? Stand by what is right. Take your stand in that that is good. That is good. It says there, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. It's not, it's not going to always appear right in the sight of people around you. It's not. I'm sorry. Just being honest with you. There are people who are not going to understand it. Why can't you just, why can't you just capitulate? Why can't you just compromise? Can I say, church, I believe that what God is doing within this church, what He is going to do through this church, will be through people who stand for what is right and good. May we never depart from this.
people aren't going to understand it. People are going to accuse you of all manner of things. They're going to accuse you of being bigoted. They're going to accuse you of being racist. They're going to accuse you of being prejudiced. They're going to accuse you of all, of all, many, all manner of things when you stand for what is right and what is good. But may we never, may we never, by God's grace, depart from the, the standards and the holiness and the beauty of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let your light shine. Matthew 5 tells us. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. And what will they do? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Glorify your Father. I want to close with a, a poem from Mother Teresa. I wonder if the worship team could just come up. Mother Teresa. I wasn't going to read it all. I was just going to read part of it. But I think it's a, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful direction for us in closing today. She says this, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. Forgive them anyway. If you were kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. She says, be kind anyway. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies people aren't going to understand all the time but she says succeed anyway if you are honest and frank people may cheat you be honest and frank anyway what you spend years building Someone could destroy overnight. Church, hear this. Pastor Nathan, hear this. Build anyway. Amen. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good you do today people will often forget tomorrow that's true isn't it the good you do today people will often forget tomorrow do good anyway do good anyway give the world the best you have and it may never be enough but give the world the best you've got anyway. Anyway. Yeah, we've looked at goodness. We've looked it through the eyes of 
standing for what is right with our hearts with our hearts right before him standing in the integrity of the new birth now I know I know that we have to be very very careful of how we actually put into practice some of those areas that I've talked about we need we need to be people who are sensitive to one another's needs we need we need if if we are addressing an area where we need to stand for righteousness we need the wisdom of almighty god and there are ways there are ways to stand for righteousness without stumbling people there are ways to stand for righteousness that actually lifts them up as when Paul stood for righteousness before Peter. And so, and so, it's all covered in the fruit of the Spirit. And next week, we're going to look at the fruit of gentleness in handling this real and vital and needful subject of goodness. God bless you, church.